0: is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Good morning, church. Thanks, Joseph, for that wonderful communion. Um, good morning, church. For those who don't know me, uh, my name is Anoj. Um, I've been coming to PCC for for all my life, and it's a privilege uh, to share from God's word with you this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three. Now. If you're new or you're just joining us, um, we've been journeying through a series entitled Press On. Um, and the series is journeying through the book of Philippians. And we've gone through chapter 1, chapter 2, and we're up to chapter 3 this morning. And so while, while you're opening your Bibles, I want to open up by, by a way of illustration this morning uh, to get us thinking and understanding sort of the, the, the theme that we're going to wrestle with this morning in our passage. For those who, who may have known me a few years ago, back in uh, 2019 or so, um, I was finishing my uni degree. I'd come to the end of my degree and I was about to transition into starting full-time work. Um, and to a large degree, I um, I thought I knew kind of where I wanted to go. I, I had a few options I was thinking about, but one of the things I really needed or I, I thought I needed um, was a job, whether it be at least a part-time job, full-time, what have you, I, I wanted to, to get a job. And so in May, of 2019, I started applying Um, and I thought, all right, you know, May, June, I'll get something by July. Um, And if you're someone who's been on that journey of finding a job, you'll know that sometimes it doesn't work out like that. Um, And indeed, from about May through to about November, I continued to apply for a number of jobs and I probably applied for for over a hundred and didn't get much um, by way of response until the very end. But I remember very distinctly at that time, thinking to myself and kind of wondering, you know, as I submitted these applications, I was really putting a lot of my confidence in this A4 piece of paper, um, maybe two pages, this resume that I'd written up. Um, and based on what was, what was on this resume, um, there was going to be um, a, a someone on the other side reading it and um, making a decision. So in, in many senses, I, I put my confidence in this A4 piece of paper. And one of the things that, that I think we're going to unpack this morning as we, um, as we look at this chapter is this idea of spiritual confidence. What is it that we're putting our spiritual confidence in this morning? Or if I can borrow the phrase, what is on our spiritual resumes? And I'll we'll unpack that in a bit. So join, um, join with me as we look at Philippians chapter 3. Um, we're going to focus in on verse 7 through to 14 predominantly, um, but... We'll read from verse 1 by way of context as well. This is what the word of the Lord says. It says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Verse 7. forgetting what is behind straight and straining towards what is ahead i press on toward the goal to win the prize for which god has called me heavenward in christ jesus this morning we're going to unpack three things from our passage uh, we're going to look at, firstly, something to forsake. Paul's going to show us something that we need to leave behind, something that we need to forsake um, as, as believers. Secondly, we're going to look at something to, tre- something to treasure. Um, what does Paul say in our passage? What, indeed, what does God say that we should be treasuring as our confidence? And thirdly, we're going to look at something to pursue. How do we live? How, what, what are we supposed to be moving towards? So something to forsake, something to treasure and something to pursue. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into it this morning. Father God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that your word is so relevant and so uh, powerful, and through it you speak in, in many ways. And Father, I pray that as we unpack this chapter, Father, would you guide my words, Lord, that I may be faithful to what your word says. And I pray by your spirit that you would encourage and challenge and convict us this morning as we hear what your word has to say, that you'd open up and shine a light on our hearts so that we can see and respond to you with faith. We thank you for this time. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to jump straight into it. The first thing we're looking at this morning is something to forsake. Now, when we look at this passage, what we realize first off is Paul is calling the church in Philippi to forsake their confidence in the flesh. In other words, to stop putting their confidence in themselves when they come before God. Now, let's look at what he says in our text this morning. Because see, evidently, there were people in the church at that time who... We're trying to get some of these believers to go back to following the old Jewish ways and customs. Indeed, there were people who um, were suggesting to, to the believers in the church that they needed to be circumcised and, and live under the, 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 the way the law commanded them to live before. And um, Paul is saying, he starts off by saying that, that if that was the system, by which we could have confidence, if that was the system by which we were to to judge things and they were the markers that mattered, then he was far superior to any of them. Because he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was as obedient as anyone could possibly be to the law. If anyone was to have confidence before God on the basis of who they were on their performance, on their obedience, it was Paul. But listen to what he says in verse seven and eight. He says, "Whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss." And he goes on to say that he considers all these things to be garbage or rubbish or nothing. They're worthless. Do you hear what Paul is saying here this morning? See, that word consider there, or in some translations, it's got it down as to count or, or to count it as, as, as a loss. That, that word means to evaluate or to deem or, or to determine something as being or having um, a certain quality. And what, what Paul is doing is he's using that and he's using other words like gain and loss, which are you know, accounting, financial terms, um, like you might see on a balance sheet. And, and what he's saying is he's, he's saying that all of those things which were seemingly good things for him to put his confidence in, he's choosing to deem them as being like nothing. They are of no worth to him. The, the, the things that he once put his confidence in, who he was, how obedient he was, those things, he's, he's not putting it in there, his confidence in that at all. And Paul's point here to the church is they, that they too ought to place no confidence in the flesh they ought to also not rely on their performance or their efforts to have confidence before God. Because if anyone was able to do that, it was him. And if he was counting or deeming these things to be a loss, then or indeed the, the church in Philippi, in Philippi, the believers, ought to have done the same. And for us today, I think it's, a, it's, it's something that we, we need to hear. Um, and, and when we do hear it, it's often um, a little bit um, shocking or, or different or countercultural in many ways you know we've, we've just had the Olympics um, I'm sure many of you like me have loved watching um, watching it each and every night and One thing that kind of stood out to me as, as I was watching it is often they'll interview the, these Olympians and particularly those who um, won you know gold, silver, or bronze or performed really well and they'll interview them and, and they'll ask them a question like you know what, what was going through your mind?" When you, were, when you were at the, the start of that race or when you were about to do the, the act or the event you were doing, what was kind of going through your mind? And often they say something along the lines of, you know, I just, I just had to, to, to trust that I had done the work. I just had to trust that I had put the hours of training in. I had to trust that all the work that I put in, it, it was going to come to fruition. They were in many ways looking inward for their confidence to then conquer the race or the event that they were doing. And indeed, we do that many a time in in all areas of of our lives. I mean, if we're we're in school or university and we have an exam, sometimes we get to the exam room and we're trying to look inward, look at the study we've done, have confidence in that to pass that exam. Or at work, when we're faced with a challenge of some sort, we can trust in our training and our education and our experience to, to get us through it. That's a, a common mentality we have, and, and I'm not for an instant saying that that is a bad thing. It's, it's a good thing that we do do our study and that we do have confidence that we have given our best in, our, in, the, in the study room and now we're, we're able to sit that exam. It, it's not a bad thing. But when that attitude is translated into our spiritual lives into the way we think about confidence before God that's when it becomes a problem Paul's point here is that we, we shouldn't be looking inward we shouldn't be looking inward at ourselves for, for confidence our, our performance shouldn't be what gives us confidence before God we ought to consider them a loss they ought to be forsaken I wonder if we examine our hearts this morning, where where do we find ourselves? Dare I say it, I don't think many of us would uh, find ourselves desiring to go back and follow the the Jewish customs and the way that they they lived. Um, That's perhaps a, a granted, but I think this idea of having confidence in our own performance is still something that's rife in our Christian culture even today. For some of us, this is directly applicable. Maybe you find yourself feeling like you're not good enough as a Christian, or you're not even good enough to call yourself a Christian, because you keep doing the things that you know you shouldn't. Or perhaps lockdown, as we've been in for the last so many weeks, has shown you a particular side of you that you just don't like. Maybe you're, you're finding yourself constantly bursting out in anger against those that you live with because you're surrounded by them 24-7. There's no outlet and you're always frustrated. Maybe there's a, a particular addiction or habit that's just gotten worse because you're stuck at home and you can't seem to... Um, wrestle with it any longer or maybe you haven't picked up your bible in seven weeks and you haven't prayed and you just feel like you're so not good enough for god maybe you're wrestling with doubts or questions and you just you feel like you need to wrestle with it and and, and sort it all out before you come to god but for others of us and i'll sit here for, for a moment for other others of us this morning maybe it's a little more subtle See, for those of us who have grown up in the church um, and have grown up hearing sermons every Sunday, day in, day out, um, and all of that, we, we know that we can't earn our salvation. We know that we can't earn um, our way to God. We can't earn our right standing with Him, and we will gladly declare and say those exact words. And yet, so often, we can, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves putting our confidence in ourselves or in our flesh in the opposite way. Let me let me explain by by way of example there's been many times where you know I've, I've done something wrong and I know I need to repent I need to to, to, to bring it before God and and acknowledge the wrong and, and and ask for forgiveness and so often I find myself praying and I'm praying about all kinds of things not just that particular thing but you know all kinds of things I'm praying and I'm seeking God and and I find myself you know Starting by, by asking for forgiveness, I start my prayer by saying, God, I, I did X, Y, Z, um, and I know it's wrong, and, and I need your forgiveness. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's perhaps a good thing. And if it's born out of a grief of our sin, that's a great thing. But I remember a time where I paused and uh, examined my own heart at that time. And I recognized that this striving I had, this desire for a fervent prayer of seeking forgiveness and, and asking for God to, to, to wash me clean again, it, it wasn't because I was grieving my sin, but it was because I really wanted God to hear the prayer that I was about to pray. See, what actually mattered to me was not me grieving my sin, that didn't lead me to repentance I was actually worried that somehow my bad performance had lost me in my standing with God. I wonder if you find yourself in a similar position this morning. Maybe there's that habitual sin that you're, you're wrestling against, that you're, you're, you're struggling, you're, you're trying to fight but you can't seem to refrain from it. But when you do, you, you find yourself feeling more confident before God because of the record of number of days you've gone now that's not a bad thing that we're defeating sin and winning that battle more often than not that's great but if that's what we're putting our confidence in if that's what's driving us to be confident before god then we too are looking inward see for some of us we believe that we can't earn our righteousness by works and yet we fall into the trap of believing that we somehow sustain it by our good performance and paul is saying to us no There ought to be no confidence put in the flesh. We ought to consider. We ought to count. We ought to deem these things as a loss because of something else. That's our first point this morning. We ought to have no confidence in the flesh. But then what do we do? Where are we supposed to go from there? What can we base our confidence before God in? And that brings us to our second point this morning, something to treasure so you may have noticed in the previous section paul unpacks seven things seven or eight things that that are giving him confidence if he was to have confidence in the flesh but as he goes on particularly from verse seven onwards he he highlights really just one thing and he expands on it which he puts his confidence in now listen to what it says in verse eight it says what is more I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him. And he goes on to talk about the righteousness by faith, which we'll get to in a second. But we see here this morning that the one thing that Paul is putting his confidence in is his union with Christ. His union with Christ. Paul talks about knowing Christ Jesus. This is not just a, an intellectual knowledge. He, he doesn't just want to hear stories or hear other people's opinions about this Jesus. He, it's, a, it's, it's a word that means it, it's an experiential knowledge. It's a relational knowledge. There's an intimacy there. Paul is, is after a, a deep, personal, experiential knowledge of Jesus. He talks about being found in him. These are all parts of what it means to be united to Christ. And he goes on in verse 10. um, And he says that he wants to know the power of the resurrection. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. Victorious over sin and death. Over every addiction. Over every bad habit. Over every sin in our lives. He, He wants to know the power of the resurrection. He wants to be united with him in his suffering. He's awaiting this resurrection to come. Paul is cherishing his union with Christ. But church this morning, do do we properly understand what that means? Is the truth of being united to Christ a reality that stirs joys and affection In our hearts, or or is it another piece of Christian jargon that rolls off the tongue, that goes in one ear and out the other? Friends, the the single greatest, most beautiful reality of the gospel is that because of what Christ has done, we are united to Him. For those of us who have put our faith in, in Jesus, our lives are hidden in Christ. This means that that when God sees us, he doesn't see the the sin riddle, the filthy, sinful self. He sees us in Christ. He sees Christ, our ultimate representative. See, Jesus was the the true Israel, the true Hebrew of Hebrews, the one who was truly and ultimately faultless and blameless. And he went to the cross, and on the cross, he he went through the the greatest and most unequal exchange. Whereby he took upon himself our anger, our lust, our potty mouths, our love of money, our idolatry, our selfishness, our anger, all of that he, he took that and, and took that upon himself and took the punishment of it, and he, in exchange, gave us his righteousness. So that when we are now in Him, we are deemed righteous. We are deemed faultless before God because of what Christ has done and our union with Him. And now because of that, we can come boldly before our God. We can have confidence to come and and pray and be with Him and be in relationship with Him because we're united to Christ. Imagine for a moment the, the President of the United States, right? To, to get an audience, to get five minutes with the president, you, you need to have done something great or be part of a great cause or um, you know, have some sort of great reason as to why this president, this, this, this mighty man is going to give you five minutes of his time. But if at two o'clock in the morning, his eight-year-old daughter runs into his room and says, Daddy, give me a drink of water. You better bet the father's going to listen. This child has got such confidence to come in because she knows that even though this man is the president, this man is also her father, and she has the confidence to come in and ask for whatever she needs. Friends, this morning, as, as believers, when we're united to Christ and we are welcomed into his family and we are considered sons and daughters of God, we too can have that same confidence. Confidence. We are united to him. And Paul is saying that this one thing that he's treasuring, he declares it to be of surpassing worth. There is nothing that was of more value to him. There was nothing else he wanted on his spiritual resume, as it were. Paul was putting his hope in the fact that he was united to Christ. He was hidden in him to drive home what it means for us to be hidden in Christ. Let me illustrate it this way. I've been, been reading a book um, by the name, uh, it's called Union with Christ on this very topic, by a guy called Rankin Wilborn. And he tells this story of a friend that he had. Um, and this friend, she was, she was someone that was very, very big on behavior modification she found herself always trying to do things that would please other people and trying to make them happy so she changed how she was and she was also the um the person inside the character of mickey mouse at disneyland at that time and she tells this story about how when she put on that costume when she donned the the headpiece and the the full suit these kids flocked to her and they hugged her they wanted pictures with her they pointed pointed at her from a distance, talking to their parents, there was such love and affection towards her because she was the Mickey Mouse character. And, and she recognised that they weren't coming to her because of her, they were coming to her because of Mickey. In other words, she was, you could say, hidden in Mickey. The kids hugged her, took photos with her. That was the base of her effect, the affection that they gave her. And it's the same idea when it comes to being hidden in Christ. When we're hidden in Christ, when God sees us, he sees Christ. And his love, his affection is toward us because of that. It means that whether we're wrestling with doubts or our sin, or we mess up again, we can have confidence in the amazing reality that we are united with Christ. Our spiritual resumes need only say one thing, united with Christ our confidence needs to be based on nothing else nothing else church this morning i i I hope and i pray that you will allow this reality to really sink deep into your hearts that this would give you joy each and every morning that we are united to christ our confidence before god is not based on our performance but on who god is and what he's already done this is wonderful news But then it it beckons the question, how do we live in light of that? Because we, we recognize that yes, on one hand, we're united to Christ. And yet at the same time, we also know very acutely that we still sin every day. We recognize that we're united to Christ. And yet we also know we have some way to go in terms of being like him and knowing him more deeply and intimately and completely we're caught in this this gap in between where we're living in the the midst of almost like two realities as it were and it would be an error it would be a grave error for us to say that because we're united with christ that we can live a life we have a license to live how we want that is not what paul is saying so then how are we supposed to live how are we supposed to live in this gap in this tension? And this brings us to our third and final point this morning, something to pursue. We're called, church, to pursue a deeper knowledge and experience of God, to pursue Christ-likeness, to grow in being more and more like him every day. And as we seek to pursue Christ's likeness and grow in that knowledge and the depth of that knowledge, I want to draw out four things which Paul um, says about himself and indeed his instructions to the church, which I think will help us to live faithfully as we live in this gap between the two of um, still sinning and recognizing that we still fall short um, in our performances, but also recognizing that we're united to Christ. And the four things you're taking notes, the four things are, one, Paul gives us is an anchor. Secondly, he gives us a perspective. Thirdly, role models, and fourthly, hope. So, an anchor, perspective, role model, and hope. And we'll go through these quite quickly. The first thing that he he gives, and we can draw out from our passage, is that Paul gives a gives us an anchor that indeed he's dropping deep into his own heart as he lives in this gap. We're not going to spend too much time on this one because we have done so already. But look at what he says in verse twelve. He says. Not that I've already obtained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. See, in the midst of his war against his flesh and his sin, Paul continually anchors himself, he continually starts and roots himself in the reality that it's all based on the work that Jesus has done. Jesus has already, quote unquote, taken hold of him. He has already called him. He has already saved him. He has already purposed for Paul to be conformed into the image of Christ. And indeed, that's true for all of us as believers. That reality is an anchor that seeps deep into his heart. That he's encouraging us, and indeed it should be into our hearts as well, so that we don't fall back into the trap of trying to perform. It starts by remembering the anchor. The anchor is what Christ has already done, our union with Him. One theologian put it this way He says, Nothing so motivates us to deal with sin in our lives as does the understanding and application of the two truths that our sins are forgiven and the dominion of sin is broken because of our union with Christ. In other words, the, the reality of our union with Christ, which we've just talked about. That ought to be the anchor that seeps deep into our hearts as we fight and wage war against our sin. That's our first one this morning. The second one we can see is Paul gives a perspective. He highlights a perspective which has enabled him to live in this gap and indeed will help us to live that same way too. See, Paul recognises that whilst his union with Christ and his being found in Jesus is a true and current reality, he also recognizes that the, the, the depth of knowledge of Christ and the confirmation into his image, that, that still has some way to go. Listen to what he says in verse 13. He says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. That is, reached the point of full experiential knowledge of Christ. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, that is, the gains of the flesh, his performance um, and obedience to the law, and straining toward what is ahead, that is reaching the fullness of the knowledge of Christ, I press on toward the goal. Living in the gap, and he recognized that yes, he still sinned, there was still war that needs to be waged against his flesh. He still had some way to go in terms of um, experiencing Christ more and growing more and more in the, in the image of Christ or the likeness of Christ. But at the same time, he recognized that it was a current and present reality that he was united to Christ, that his salvation was not based on how he performs. He had that confidence that he could hold the tension, he waged war whilst holding them in tension. I'll illustrate it this way, and I hope that this <clears throat> sorry, sort of um, helps us understand a little bit about what is sort of going on here. I want us to think about a, a couple that we know that's been married for a long time maybe if you're you're married yourself and' you've been married for a long time it, it, you could think about your own marriage um or if you're not um uh, maybe think about the the marriage of someone that you know that been married for a, a long time and often is that in the years that go past we look at the, look at them how they they know and what they say about each other indeed they 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 can often grow in their understanding of each other more and more. As the years go on, they, they start to be able to understand how their spouse is going to respond to a situation. Or they can hear someone say something, they, they instantly know what their spouse is going to think in response to that. Or they, they, they know that certain actions or, or words are indicative of something that's going on in the heart of their spouse. They've they grown a deeper knowledge of their spouse over the years of marriage. And yet, at the same time, they are legally no more married after 50, 60, 70 years of marriage than they were on day one. When they were married, in the eyes of the law, as it were, they were considered in some ways to to be one. They were legally one. And yet there was still some way to go in fleshing out the reality of knowing them more and more and becoming more and more like each other. And it's a similar way in, in our faith, that when we put our faith in Jesus, when we come to Christ, we have fellowship with Him. We know Him. We are welcomed into the family of God. We are considered sons and daughters of God and yet over the life of our Christian journey there is still more to go into becoming more and more like Christ, reflecting him more and more in our lives. This is the the process of sanctification where God by the work of his spirit refines us and grows us more and more into his image. We need to have that perspective like Paul did, recognizing that he lived in this in-between where he was saved, he was justified before God, and yet there was still a work that God was doing in his heart to make him more and more like himself. Thirdly, we see that Paul encourages us to look at role models. and Indeed, in verse 15, to the end which we ends to read paul beckons the church to to follow his and indeed um, the examples of other people around them who live the christian life in the, the a right and and, and godly uh, god-exalted manner listen to what he says in verse 17 he says join together in following my example brothers and sisters just as you have had sorry just as you have us as a model keep your eyes on those who live as we do church We live in a world which is constantly um, beckoning us to look at other people and in some ways look at them as role models. We see how other people live their lives and we we take certain parts of them and we want to um, apply it and live our own lives in the same way. And Paul is saying that's a good thing and that should be the same of our spiritual lives. Spiritually too, it's imperative for us to be people that have other people that we can look to, so we can observe how they fight their sin, how they wage their war against their flesh and their sinful, how they um, conduct themselves and carry themselves in their relationship with God. We ought to have those people around us. Indeed, it's challenging. I mean, we're, we're in a time where we're you know, now more isolated than ever. We're we're cut off, and yet it's something that we ought to be intentional about pursuing. There's that old saying in in Christian circles. Some of you may have heard it, where it says that everyone needs a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. In other words, everyone needs someone to look up to to be a role, role model. Everyone needs someone to run alongside them and everyone needs someone to, to mentor, to, to um, counsel and, and guide as well. I can't tell you how many times I've benefited benefited from looking or speaking to older brothers who've been able to, to, to share about how they've wrestled with their sin, how they've conducted themselves in, in tricky situations at work or um, in, in ministry or other places. And I've been able to learn and, and, and use them as role models, as tangible examples of what it means to live out my life as an obedient follower of christ wrestling and putting to death my sin but also having my confidence in christ and letting that not be shaken church i encourage you this morning to seek that out seek out role models that you can look up to that you can do life with because like paul says here we we need to have people that we can keep our eyes on as we run this race and fourthly and finally the the, the final thing we can draw out again come from that that the last part of the passage um in chapter three paul talks about us having a hope listen to what uh it says from verse 20 onwards paul finishes by giving this incredible hope to cling to he says but our citizenship is in heaven we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our, low, our lowly bodies so, they will be, so that they will be like His glorious body, Church. This is the great and glorious hope that we have, that we can cling to. There is coming a time where our Savior, our Savior from heaven, Jesus, is going to come back, and He's going to call us home. And at that time, we will stand and we will be renewed, we will have new and glorified bodies which won't be ravaged by sin, which won't be affected by uh, sickness and, and death. That's the hope that we can cling to when, when, when the habitual sin feels like it will never go away, when the anxiety about our world is through the roof, when we're experiencing the strain of being locked down at home 24-7, living with other sinful, broken people, who respond to our sin in sinful and broken ways. When it all feels too much, church, this is the hope that we can cling to, that Jesus is coming, that this is not the end. One day we will have a body where the the flesh and waging war against sin will be a distant memory. It will truly be something in the past that we consider as nothing because it's not affecting our new and glorious bodies. Church, fix your eyes. Let us fix our eyes on that hope that as we wage war, as we live in the tension between putting to death our sin, but holding firmly to Christ and trusting him for our confidence and salvation, let's live with our eyes fixed on the hope that is to come. Church, I pray that this morning we would be a people that don't turn back to ourselves, that don't turn back to our own heart and flesh for confidence before God, but rather we would be people that stand before God confident knowing that it's not because of our works, but it's because of what Christ has done, because of the most beautiful and unequal of exchanges. We now are credited, righteous, and can have confidence before God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you've given us this amazing confidence to have thank you in your wisdom that you sent jesus to die and and take our sins and through his death and resurrection we can be united to him we thank you father that we can come into your presence now as sons and daughters Father, it's a reality that, that it's, it, it's too big for our minds to comprehend. And yet I pray and I ask that you would help our hearts to press deeper into that. I pray this morning, each and every heart that's, that's tuning in this morning, starting with my own, Father, I pray that you would make us more and more like you, that you would push us deeper and deeper into you, that we would want to know you above all things, that like Paul, we can declare that knowing you, being united to you is of surpassing worth. Not mere lip service to that phrase, but I pray that our hearts would be able to to declare with joy, and with Paul, that it is of surpassing worth, that we would cling to you and that in doing so, we would faithfully wage war against our sin, against our flesh. And Lord, in doing so, Father, I pray that you'd help us to put to death our sin. And I pray that by your Spirit's work in us, you'd make us more and more into your image. Help us to cling to you and to trust you through this entire process. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless your church. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church Podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.